Hello, everyone, and welcome back to CC Airwaves. My name is Paige Matello, and I am here with my co-host, Joel Hansel, and our guest, Julia Elifrit, who is the Education Director at Cornerstone of Hope. How are you guys doing today? Even though it's raining, it's we're, I'm having a good morning. It's good. What about you, Joel? I have no idea. It's raining. <laughs> Joel's currently in our podcast studio, which is in our basement at our main office at Calvary. So he's kind of cut off from the world right now. Okay. <laughs> well, we have 85, we have a grief camp going on this week. So we have 85 grieving kids here for camp all day. And so fingers crossed that the rain stops because they're supposed to go to the zoo this afternoon. So I'm hoping oh. that the weather gets better. Yeah. I love the zoo. I was just there Sunday. <laughs> Really? Yes. Awesome. I actually used to work at a summer camp, too, and the kids loved going to the zoo. So I really hope that they have the chance to go this afternoon. <laughs> yes, me too. Me too. So for our listeners today, we will be discussing the role of cemeteries and in grieving and in healing. So, Julia, why don't you start off by just telling our audience a little bit about yourself? Sure. So um, I work at, currently I work at Cornerstone of Hope, which is a bereavement center in Independence. We serve hundreds of clients every week that have had a loss due to death. So there's all kinds of loss, divorce, things like that. But we really work with people when, when somebody has died. Um, I personally have been a grief counselor for 38 years. This is the only thing I've ever done. I did hospice for 20 years before coming to Cornerstone. So I've been in every funeral home and every cemetery in Northeast Ohio um, in my tenure of um, working with families who've had a loss. And so it's very much a passion of mine to support people through that healing process of grief. Um, grief is a game changer, as you guys know, for anybody who's lost somebody, life's never going to be the same again. It'll be good again. It could be whole again, but it's never going to be the same. And I think part of what we're going to talk about this morning is how we can use that, you know, connecting with our person at the cemetery to move us forward, not moving on, we never move on. We move forward in our grief, but how we do that. So it's, to me, this is an exciting topic. So what made you decide to go to Cornerstone of Hope? Um, they, so um, again, I had had 20 some years in the bereavement field um, in Cleveland, working doing bereavement and hospice. And I just loved the vision. So they were a brand new organization founded by Mark and Chrissy Tripodi, who unfortunately lost their three-year-old son. Um, and so they had, you know, tried counseling and it was expensive. They couldn't afford it. They tried groups and they didn't meet often enough. And so they just kind of said, when we um, are through our grief process, we want to build an organization that was what we needed that wasn't available. And so we're one of probably just a handful across the country of freestanding bereavement centers, not affiliated with any hospital, any particular organization. So we take referrals from everywhere. Um, uh, and so it was just like, I just loved their vision of what they were trying to create. And again, grief is such a passion of mine that it just kind of made sense that I come here. So you've been there from the start? Uh, one year in. So the, we oh, are wow. 20 years old. Um, yeah, I was the first clinical hire. I'm a social worker by training. Um, the first hire was a receptionist to be, we basically answer the phone in the Tripodi's basement when we started <laughs> calling for services. And then uh, we eventually were in a rented space. And then five years in as an organization, we built the facility that we're currently in. We built a $3 million uh, state-of-the-art bereavement center. 
And then uh, we are now in a capital campaign to adding a $5 million addition on because we're bursting at the seams, which is sad that, you know, but this has a great need, especially with all of the trauma that we're seeing, suicide, homicide, excellent overdose. Those numbers are just kind of going through the roof. So we're going to be adding a huge addition onto the facility. Yeah. But I've been there almost since the very beginning. I also teach the grief and loss courses at Case in their social work school at MSAS. And so I've done that for about 10 years as well. That's really great. You know, we actually had Mark and Christy Tripodi on the podcast a couple months ago to I've discuss yeah, the loss of their son, and they were on our Inspiring yeah. Stories of Healing and Hope series. Yes. Yeah, they're, they're an amazing couple. So let's move on to kind of what we're here to talk about today. So how do you believe that cemeteries play a crucial role in the grieving process? Um. Let me, can I just kind of back up one step and just say, I think that COVID over the last few years has messed up this process with funerals and cemeteries. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and we see the effects of that now because what we know that um, for you to get through the grief process in a healthy manner, two things have to happen. You have to have uh, be able to say goodbye to your person who died. We took that away for a couple of years because you couldn't go into a hospital. Even if your person didn't have COVID, even they had heart disease, but they were dying, you couldn't go visit them. And then the second thing that we need to have happen for everybody to have a healthy bereavement process is to have a funeral and a cemetery visit, to be able to gather with your friends say, you know, we're going to, we're going to support you. You're going to get through this to feel that connection to the community. And we do that at a, at a funeral home. And then we all travel to the cemetery together. We stand around, we have a certain, that's, that kicks off the grief process. We eliminated that as well. So what we're seeing now is the effect of that. Um, you know, we, the, I think the, the physical piece of the pandemic is under control. And I'm not saying that it's completely over, but it's, it's not what it was in 2019. But the emotional wave that's coming behind, the mental health wave uh, of people feeling isolated and depressed is huge right now. But I would also say we're now like doing funerals with people just in the counseling office talking about, okay, how would you want to do it? Because they, they didn't get to do it. So it's messed up grief. So having said all that, cemeteries are such an important piece of the process. Um, I think it makes us feel very connected to our person that we lost. Um, to to um, include them in holidays. You know, we have brides, <clears throat> excuse me, that will, after the wedding ceremony, go in their, you know, their wedding outfit and with the groom and they go visit the cemetery and visit grandma or whoever, whoever they, they lost um, to kind of include them in that wedding day and that wedding ceremony. And when we can do that, oh my gosh, we just, we get through the process of anything so much better versus like, okay, grandma couldn't be here and I'm sad, no. Grandma can't be here in the same way that we wanted, but let's go or let's go see dad in a cemetery. So we're seeing that people are including them in like holidays and family traditions. People, as you know, will go and take their lawn chairs. Okay, we're having our 4th of July barbecue out here because we're, we're including dad in the barbecue. And so I think it connects us to people. Uh, that we've lost and we really want that connection oh my gosh we want that connection so if sitting at a graveside does that for them yeah that's beautiful right um i think it also connects us to history like i remember growing up we would go every sunday to the cemetery and visit my grandparents graves like and that was just 
and they died before I knew them kind of thing. But we would go because it was just that connection of, no, these are important people in our family and we still include them, even though they're not physically present here on earth. So I think it connects us to, to our history as well. Um, and I think it's just a great time to reminisce with family. You know, it's, it's one thing. I would say symbols help us connect to emotion, right? So I could say, Paige, could you please recite the Pledge of Allegiance to us? And you could probably do that, right? But if I had a military honor guard looking at you with a full military uniform and a flag, oh my gosh, you could say the pledge so much better, right? Because we engage our emotion when there's a symbol. A headstone is a symbol, right? And so to sit there and, and talk to whoever was that you lost with a symbol, with their name on it, there's a way of connecting emotionally in a different way than me sitting in my living room at home and reminiscing and talking. Does that make sense? So those, those symbols help us connect to emotion. And that's, I think, one of the beauties of, of that, of the cemetery. I think also the history, like Lakeview Cemetery, people go uh, just to look through all the old presents that are buried there. I mean, there's a, you know, it's, it really does document our history, cemeteries do. I really like what you said about the symbol. I feel like that made a lot of sense. And I'm actually yeah. gonna share that with our director of cemeteries because I feel like he would love that. <laughs> It connects us, you know, connects us to emotion. Mm -hmm. Sure. In what ways do cemeteries provide a sense of comfort and solace for those who have experienced loss? You know, um, depending on people's beliefs, some people believe like they're persons in heaven. Uh, I believe that. I'm assuming you guys believe that. Some people believe in reincarnation. It doesn't matter what people believe. There's a, still something about going to the cemetery. So even if you know, like, my person's not here, my person's in heaven, the body's here. And there's just something about, is there something about just being with family? And and when family members pass and they're laying in the, there's just still something about connecting that happens in a different way than, again, we can be sitting at home on Thanksgiving and, and thinking, gosh, grandpa should have been here to carve the turkey because that's what we always did every year. And we can miss him. But man, we all go to the cemetery with our pie after you know the meal. It just, it connects us on a different level. It really does. And, and it's for our benefit. It's not for, it doesn't do anything for the person laying in the grave. It's for our benefit as grievers to feel connected to the person that we lost. And it just seems to be a, just a more tangible way of doing it. Can you uh, discuss any cultural or religious practices related to cemeteries um, contributing to the grieving process? Sure. So what we know about culture is that if we are allowed to um, process in the way that our culture is, accepts, we get through the process better than if we were doing something different. So, for example, um, there are a lot of Eastern European cultures that are very stoic. You know, and they at the head of a casket aren't shedding a lot of tears. And if you said to them, Mrs. Smith, you need to cry and let it all out. You'll feel so much better. Like you just messed up her grief because that's not how they do it. Right. And then there's, you know, some uh, Latino cultures that are very demonstrative. They wail and cry and throw their body on a casket. If you said to them, you need to sit quietly and respectfully in the front row. You just messed up their grief. Right. So what we know about funerals in, 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 in grief is if we can do what our culture says is appropriate, we get through the process better. So I would say in the culture that I belong to, 
how we mourn. It was we go to the funeral home from two to four and seven to nine. We go back the next day and put a purple flag on our car. We drive in a line to the cemetery. We get out. We stand around the grave site. Uh, we watch the grave being lowered. Sometimes we throw some dirt on it. We throw. We have some words said. We go back to the church and have lunch. Like so, that's that's how it happens. Um, but if you can do again what your culture says is important, some cultures really. You know, you know, Muslim cultures believe in burying right away and in certain cemeteries and in certain cemeteries, your the body has to be faced a certain direction for religious beliefs. Sometimes they have to be buried right away for religious beliefs. And uh, sometimes in um, the Jewish culture, they like to be kind of on the ground. And so uh, they have caskets where you can take the bottom slats out. So they're actually kind of touching the ground a little bit. So those are the kind of things that if we can incorporate that into the grieving process, man, that, that's golden. That's you're you're getting through the process because you're honoring your person in the way that their culture prescribed it. And and I would say that goes along with cremation too. You know, some cultures believe strongly in cremation, some absolutely against cremation. And so in some cemeteries you may have, you know, a lot of urns that are they're buried or in, in a Muslim and, and others you, you might not because depending on what they're religious beliefs are but again the, the main thing is isn't is one practice right or wrong that's not the issue the issue is are you doing what in your culture is acceptable because if you are you get through the process better that makes sense makes a lot of that sense that makes sense yeah it's interesting that you mentioned cremation because i actually just wrote a blog post about how the stance on cremation has changed within the catholic church over you know, many years. So I think that those stances have modified over time too. To me, what's also interesting, Paige, you, you wrote the blog post about cremation and um, Julia, you, you talked about what our culture says is normal in, in my family. My, my father-in-law passed away in December and, and he was cremated, but we, ne- we didn't have the funeral and the burial until May. And it was really kind of interesting because, you know, we're dealing more with a a blended family that was much older and um, a big majority of the family that probably isn't a practicing anything, right? But um, my father-in-law and and my mother-in-law, they they were Catholic. Uh, My wife was raised Catholic, uh, were Catholic. And I know that... um, when my mother-in-law was trying to, was sitting with the funeral director and, and talking about how she wanted to, to proceed, she couldn't quite come up with the words to, to really explain. And, and she, she just kept saying, I know, I know Jean wanted to have a mass. And I said, perfect, then we'll have a mass, right? Because that's, that, you're right, Julia, that is what we, we do. Granted, it took four months later when we could get people together, but we had the mass, we drove to the cemetery. We, we had the honor guard there and we got through this whole, this whole day. And I think it gave my wife some closure. I know it gave some other family members closure and just that whole ritual um, was really, really important. I think for everybody that ended up being there. Yeah. I think what's hard now, I think a hundred years ago, everybody lived in extended families in the same community. And then people started moving. 
And so you can't go visit grandma's grave every Sunday because I live in California now and my grandma's buried in, you know, Ohio. Um, I think that we're seeing a lot of that. It makes it difficult. So I know when my dad died a few years ago, my brother was in Kazakhstan working at the time. And so you couldn't have a funeral right away. Um, and so we had to delay it a couple of weeks because he had to get get back into the country and, and get things done. I think that I wonder how that affects people's grief when we can't have that closure right away. When we have to delay it for whatever reason. And I think um, COVID did that as well. Um, when sometimes we have somebody cremated and then we say, okay, we're going to have a mass or we're going to have a, a ceremony like three months from now in the summer when it's easier to travel. Like for that three months, that family, like that's a struggle because that closure of having that funeral and that burial, like that's what's important to kick off the grief process. So we've delayed it a little bit um, by the fact that we, number one, don't like dealing with death and all this stuff, but then we delay it. There's a funeral home in Saginaw, Michigan. Um, it's a drive-through funeral and they took an old bank and I don't know if you've heard this or seen it, you can Google it. I use it in my class all the time. It's like an old bank that's no longer a bank. And by the window where you would pull up to the teller and the drive-through, uh, you say, I'm here to see Mr. Smith. They wheel the casket over in front of the window so you can view Mr. Smith. And then where they would like pass out the money to you or whatever, they pass you the register book so you can sign. You pass that back in. And then where the night deposits, if you have a card that you want to leave the family, you put it to the night and then you're done. Like five minutes and you're done. And I just think how horrible that we can't take 15 minutes to walk inside a funeral home and say, I'm, I'm sorry, I love you. I'll, I'm here for you to a grieving person. Right. Like, what's wrong with us that we don't want to do that? And I think that, you know, the same thing with cemeteries, like we just, we don't like death. We think that we can avoid it, but we can't. Um, and it's, we've made it this about convenience. And so instead of saying, mom died Monday, we're going to have a funeral Wednesday. Oh, let's wait and have it on a weekend. So everybody come, let's wait and have it two weeks. Cause we're, we've just, um, I wonder if that waters down a little bit, some of the, the issues. Cause we just, uh, we, we've, we think that we can get away with not experiencing loss and grief in this culture. And uh, it's not true because the world statistics on death are still trending at what? 100% like we're all going to experience loss. And, um, and, and if we could just take it and deal with it as hard as it is, as inconvenient as it is, when it happens, I think we just get through the process better. But, it's really interesting that you bring up COVID because we had a guest on a couple weeks ago who lost her mom during COVID. And she said that they had the funeral and they were only allowed 10 people. And it was right. such a contrast to what her father had because her father had this big funeral. Everyone was allowed to come. Everyone was allowed to grieve the loss of him. But with this, only 10 people were allowed to be there and be close to the person who had lost someone and, and then it's terrible how do you pick how do you pick those 10 like exactly you make the cut you know gets come to the funeral you know that that just puts undue pressure on uh families you know we all have like a great aunt that lived in california that died and you, you didn't go out to the funeral she wasn't close but come christmas time you're writing out your cards and you think oh yeah no way i can't write a, a card out to her because going to a funeral going just right 
it makes it real. I call it reality therapy, right? And so when we don't do that for whatever reason, because of distance or time or money, when we don't do that, it messes with our grief. And so again, we're starting to write. So for those people that may have been very close family members that couldn't because of COVID, um, it affects you. It affects the grief process, not being able to participate. And our final question for you today, Julia, is what piece of advice do you give to those who are grieving? Oh, what piece of advice do I give? Wow. Well, the first thing that I tell everybody that I meet is it's nice to meet you. I'm sorry I have to. Uh, because if I have to meet you here, of course, that means you've had a, a horrific loss. Um, the second thing I tell everybody, though, is that I promise this is survivable. Because in the moment, it doesn't feel that way. Your 13-year-old just took their life, and you feel like, how could I possibly go on? Or, you know, just the horrific overdoses and things that we see, it just feels like I can't go on. And so this, this thing I say everybody is that I promise you will survive this. You'll be a different person. You'll be a better version of yourself. You'll never be the same, but you will survive. Because, again, I think that at some point we just we have to see the end for people. I have this video that I show that I love. It's called um, Survival Run. You can get, watch it off YouTube. It's, it was made in the 70s, so it's like they got big mutton chops and you have to get past the fashion. <laughs> but it's a race. It's a blind man running a race. And um, the, the man who's sighted kind of guides him through this race. And, you know, I talk about does it cost something to care for people? It does, yeah. So for the sighted man, it costs him. He was never going to win the race running with a blind man. So it costs him that. It costs us something to care for people. But at one point during the film, the blind man says, can you see the finish? He says, yeah, I can. And I feel like that's what our role is, is, is to help see the finish for people when they can't see it for themselves. So if you're working with somebody with an addiction, your job is to see them sober and clean. If you're working with somebody who has anxiety your job is to see them being anxiety free our job is to do with grief it's to be able to see them having worked through their grief and not being as dysfunctional as they are when they come in that's our job and if we can do that again that's 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 what our job is is to to see the end for people that's why i say to everybody the advice is that you will survive this you will it's going to be hard it's going to take more time than you ever thought possible you're going to feel things that you never want to feel again, but you will survive it. You, you will get through this. I've 38 years. I've never lost anybody to grief. Like you will get through it, but it's a process, you know? And I think just to, to tell people to be gracious with themselves, because I would say, if you had a leg cut off, would you be mad that you couldn't run a marathon right away? No. I mean, if a leg cut off, it takes some while to get used to walking with crutches, you know, and then you get a prosthetic leg and now you're like a little bit wobbly again because you're learning to walk. But at some point you're going to wear pants and nobody's going to know you have a fake leg because you're walking so smoothly. When you're grieving, you have a big chunk of your heart amputated and it feels awkward. It feels like, I don't know if I can make it out. If I could stand up, you get there. You get there. You'll never be the same, but you get there. We don't move on. We move forward. That's the whole thing is we move forward in our grief. That was a really beautiful way of answering that oh, question, Julia. <laughs> Kill tears. Thank you. I would love if you could send me the link to that video you were talking about, because then I would link it into okay. the podcast description for our listeners. Okay. Oh, send it to you. Thank you very much. So once again, thank you, Julia, for joining us on CCR Waves and for our listeners. 
Julia is the Director of Education from the Cornerstone of Hope, and you can look in the link below to see the video that she's talking about, and I will link the Cornerstone of Hope website and their social media if you would like to follow anything that they are saying, and we will see you next Thursday for a new episode of CC Airwaves. Until then, take care, everyone. <laughs>